0: Customer service and customer experience expert, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author, Shep. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. Mom's so, especially proud of that last one, the uh, bestseller.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> not just once, but multiple times. I mean, that's yeah, that's very impressive. Been very lucky. So, take a minute, introduce yourself, tell us how you got into the customer service, customer experience business.
1: Well, I, to really do that, we've got to go way, way back. Let's to, go
0: way, way back. That's fine. Yeah,
1: I was a kid, started my first business, and my parents gave me suggestions on how to make sure that my customers were happy, and uh, everything from writing a thank you note when you know I did a, j- I was a birthday party magician, so writing a thank you note hmm. after the job or the the show, right? Uh, making sure I showed up early, making sure I called to get feedback, and I had no idea that was called customer service back then. And then, you know, we skipped to when I started my business back, oh, way back, uh, 1983, uh, pretty much right out of college. And all of the things that my parents taught me about that little birthday party magic show business were the things that I believed in and started talking about. Read a book called Moments of Truth. Uh, and actually, read an article prior to that by the same uh, gentleman that authored the book, uh, Jan back. Carlson.
0: Uh, yep, yep. And
1: uh, read that article, and I said, "This is exactly what I want to talk about." And then when the book came out, there weren't a lot of, of customer service books back then to study and research. Uh, and throughout my high school and college career, I had a regular job. I knew what good customer service was. I worked at a. This sounds, you know like a lower-end job, in in a, in, a, in a sense, you know, a guy collecting money on the drive at a gasoline station, it's probably not the highest uh, profile job that you want. It's definitely, you would think, well, where's the customer service there? We were a self-service station and we were just an old station that you didn't go up to the kiosk and pay the cashier. We actually had to go collect the money on the drive and reset the pump manually. And one day it was about, I don't know, It was so cold. It was well below freezing and an elderly woman came up uh, and she jumped out of her car to pump her gas and I said, ma'am, stay in the car. I'll take care of it. And I went inside and my manager kind of yelled at me. He said, why did you do that? We're a self-service station. I go, yeah, but she was older and looked frail and and, uh, I, you know, I just thought it was the right thing to do. And he said, well, now she's going to expect that every time. I go, well, at least she'll come here instead of across the street. <laughs> and, you know, so I didn't know that was called customer service. I just thought it was doing the right thing. And I quickly learned, uh, you know, doing the right thing. But I actually, uh, with that, that company, I, was the, uh, uh, I worked at the station on the weekends. I worked in the accounting department during the week. And when I graduated, I became the manager of the retail operation, uh, ultimately different regions and then overall. And then they sold the company uh, less than a year out of college, and that's why I do what I do today.
0: <laughs> interesting, interesting. So that's the background. That's the background. Okay, so let's let's do a definition of terms because there's more terminology coming into customer service business, or you know, directly and a little bit on the fringe. Is right. you know, we've got customer service, we've got customer experience now, increasingly customer success. So maybe you know, take people through the listening to this what the difference is between the three. Let's define each one and make sure people really sort of understand.
1: Sure. And, and let's start with customer service, because I think that was the first of the, the three terms, right. not just in your description, but that was the first. There was no customer experience. There was not customer success back when people started thinking about customer service, which is really the people-to-people interaction, the way uh, a salesperson manages a relationship, the way a customer support person uh, takes care of a complaint or handles a question. It was all of the interactions that customers had with the company, typically on a people-to-people level.
0: And I think uh, that the important thing to interject is, is that it includes pre-sales as well as post-sales. And this is really, I won't get back to it later, but this is really oh, yeah. hard for a lot of business owners and CEOs to really understand is that what happens before the sale is a service as well
1: it's selling with service it's yes. it's relationship building it's creating confidence and then once the person decides to write you a check or use your credit their credit card or say where do i sign that's when uh, the, you know they have confidence to do that and that's when affirmation takes over and did they make the right decision it's really what happens afterward is is you know, that people think, well, that's the service side, but the reality is everything leading up to it is building the relationship through creating confidence. Confidence is created through the interactions that people have with others, which is ultimately customer service. So, right.
0: Okay. That's customer service. So, next one yeah. is customer experience.
1: So, when customer experience started being bantered around, I don't know how many years ago, not that many years ago, most people thought that experience and service were the same. I, I, and by the way, I was probably one of those people. Early on, till I started to understand that uh, experience was most—I'm uh, sorry—customer service was most of experience. But there were other things that were happening, uh, and I and i use Apple as the perfect example because Steve Jobs said he wanted the box to be part of the experience—the way a customer opened the box and saw their product wrapped and neatly placed and you know really interesting. Uh, looking, you know, boxes. Mm-hmm. That was part of the experience. Uh, okay, I'm starting to get it. Packaging and design is part of the experience. Um, part of the experience might be receiving an email after you place your order at Amazon uh, or any other retailer online, where uh, it just confirms that your order has been placed. Then it's confirmed that the order is sent, and here's your shipping number if you want you want to track it. Uh, you know, little things like that are all adding to the experience. So, while a customer service experience is a very big part of the overall experience. Experience includes any interaction, people to people, people to product, people to any aspect of the business that that customer experiences is part of the experience.
0: Okay, so customer success.
1: Customer success. Now, there are several definitions out there, but I'm going to go with what I think is the most standard and basic, and that is customer success is ensuring the success that your customer has with your product. A best way to describe it is uh, I buy a, this is a generic example, I buy a software program and it's a pretty robust important software program to my business and rather than just me buying it and installing it and trying to figure out how to do it the company says as part of this process we have a coach that will be assigned to you and that person will take you and give you your first lesson or many lessons if necessary to ensure your, you can fill in the blank, success.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And so really that's what customer success is, is creating a system that allows your customer to maximize the success they're going to have with your product.
0: Right. And success could be defined as make sure they get the ROI from it that they anticipated or that you proposed to them, or they get the value in some dimension that they expected they would when they purchased it.
1: Right. And you know, uh, you know, great company that does this Quicken, for example, uh, QuickBooks. If you want to set up your, your system on QuickBooks, they have people that are waiting, ready to help you out. Of course, you can go to third-party groups that you can pay for for that, but ultimately, uh, you are they're giving you that opportunity to be successful with their product.
0: Yeah, so the one term we haven't mentioned here in this list is customer support.
1: Yes. So, support it, and that ties directly into customer service and support is handling questions and complaints, which to me is a part of customer service, but not all of it. And unfortunately, too many companies feel that customer service is a department and a not a center. philosophy. Yeah, it's really a philosophy in my mind. Everybody's involved. Uh, so the customer service department or customer support department uh, is typically, you know, if it's online support. Uh, if it's social media support people interacting over the social media channels or the traditional pick up the phone give me a call and I think even email falls into the traditional side
0: yeah no I think that's I think that's right um, well, I love what you say you in one of your articles I was reading you said there are no traffic jams along the extra mile meaning if you go the extra mile to help the customer you're not gonna have a lot of company out there
1: and I think that's in everything that you do and it's not it's the support it's the experience it's the general service it's what are you doing to differentiate yourself to put yourself out there a little bit further than others and i wrote that article just last week but i've been talking about that concept for a long long time and if you think about what is it that you enjoy with the businesses that you do business with that makes you stay loyal to them and sometimes that extra mile is that extra phone call the extra time somebody spends with you to help you understand that customer success factor where uh, you know as part of the onboarding process to a software program you can pick up the phone and and get the support you need and it and you have you're assigned your coach. And and all of these ideas, by the way, to utilize them to their maximum ability and and what they're meant for is anybody could be nice, anybody can go the extra mile, anybody can do an extra step, stand out. But is that creating an emotional hook of some sort with the customer? When I say emotional, I'm not talking about are you going to make the customer cry or smile <laughs> or be happy? No, you I'm might actually. About, you know, well, yeah, you might. You know, <laughs> you might if it's really bad. But I hope it doesn't happen if it's really a good situation. But here's here's the thing: people say, "What's the difference between you know uh, a." It's customer satisfaction and customer loyalty. So let's talk about two definitions mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you know, everybody says, Hey, we, we're going after, you know, we want our customer SAT scores to be high. I don't care about customer SAT scores. Satisfaction is a rating, okay? It's a one to five or a one to 10. I love it when they give me those high ratings in my satisfaction scores, but I want to know do those ratings get the customer to come back? So satisfaction is a rating, loyalty is an emotion. And if I do everything right, and my scores are high, and the relationship that my people have built with the customer, and maybe it's not even my people, maybe I've created a system online, a website where you have enough confidence that you know that when you place that order, you're going to get that response it has been placed, now it's been shipped, following up to make sure I received it. All of it can be automated, but you are creating a system that gives me confidence to want to do business with you again. And Customer loyalty is about that confidence that you have in the company. So, it really, it's emotional versus just a rating.
0: Well, and I think the customers, though they they understand and appreciate what the extra mile is, and I think they get it so infrequently that that you know there's an appreciation there. But I mean, I, I write about this in my books: is that you know, in a, in a time where products and services are so rapidly commoditized, is being able to create a point of differentiation is really essential, you know, so that everybody otherwise everybody sort of looks alike out there to this to the buyers. The yeah, great thing it, the great thing about the extra mile that you talk about or things I similar I talk about in my books is that this is under your control as an individual. I mean you you don't have to have a mandate. You don't need to be a dictate. It,
1: it's it's right.
0: you can do this.
1: Right. And what can you do uh that is the extra mile that's going to set you apart and and you need to give employees. If we're talking to some, or if the people listening to this show uh, have employees, you need to give the employees the ability, empower them to do little extra things, and and give them examples of what those extras are. Um, you know, I, I love, and I know the company is almost a cliche in customer service, but Zappos is recognized as one of the top customer service companies in the world. And Tony Shea says, "Who's their CEO? Mm-hmm. You do what it takes to make the customer happy. You know, um, you stay on the phone long enough to make sure that when that customer gets off the phone, they're completely happy." American Express, who's not, who's a great company, not quite as. Uh, recognized for their customer services. I mean, they are a rock star in customer service.
0: But, no, I think so. I've, you know, I've had great yeah, interactions with them. Yeah,
1: but but you know, compared to Zappos, where you know Tony Shea, I think sure. part of it is it's a big institution versus a smaller, you know, a billion dollar business versus right. uh, uh, many billion multiple
0: of dollars. billion, right?
1: <laughs> but still, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, important thing there is that a company like American Express. Their metrics for, and they use NPS, the net promoter score, Mm -hmm. which is a simple question, which is on a scale of one to 10, what's the likelihood that you would recommend us? And they, as part of their metric, the call centers, when you call and talk to them, they will stay on the phone long enough to get a high score. It's their goal that, it's not, I mean, it's the goal of the company, the culture of the company to deliver that level of service. So they've empowered their employees at the call center level to do what it takes. Stay on the phone, ask extra questions, make sure that customer has gotten what they asked for. Even if, you know, it seems ridiculous sometimes, but it could take longer than the average call. It doesn't matter. And ironically, the management and the leadership, some of their compensation is based on that front line's ability To create a good score, because that's the kind of company they want to be. Right, I think that's that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, where I was going to say where other companies are engaging their managers or call centers on their call handling time. Hey, that was too long, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You spent too much time. You know, what's with that greeting? You know, cut that down by three words. You get an extra two seconds at the end of a day. That might be an extra, you know, or at the end of a week, that's an extra two, three calls you could have made by saving a few seconds on every call. And if here's the thing. And I don't know if you've ever—I use—I uh, won't tell you the name of the uh, wireless company that I use for my phone, but their initials are AT and T. Okay, so here's the thing about AT and T, and I love it. Um, I—I'm pretty comfortable with them, and I, I like the service most of the time. I mean, I recognize, you know, this is a—you uh, know—your coverage is going to go out. Sometimes it's not AT and T's fault, but. When I've called them and they say, Hey, I'm looking at your calling plan and I'm noticing you don't come anywhere near to the amount that you're paying for. Would you like to save a little money? That's not what I called about. But guess what? They're adding something. I mean, I think that that's a great value add. And you know what? I really appreciate that they do that. And by the way, they probably appreciate that I'm willing to tell this story. Because overall, the service that I get from AT&T has been very good. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't jinx myself just now. <laughs> I was going to
0: say, your wireless just went out in your
1: house, but yeah. <laughs> right. But but overall, they do a pretty good job and then they throw something like that on there. Wow, that's pretty good. And I know I've called and I've said, hey, why all of a sudden did my data charges go up? And they look at it and they go, hmm, you must have not you know activated your Wi-Fi properly. You know what? We'll take that off. We see that this is not Something that's happening all the time. I mean, they get it. They know what's going on. And I appreciate that. And
0: that's well, and that's that small thing. And I I talk about this is that, you know, I ask people to tell me how much did they win their last deal by? You know, was it five percent better? or you 10% better? or you 20% better? And the fact is you only have to be 1% better to get the customer business. And it's things like going along the extra mile that that make they are that difference between they're the tiebreaker between winning or losing.
1: Right, and I'll go a step further and say sometimes you don't have to be one percent or five percent better. You can be five percent higher, but is the value you bring to the table with the experience and the service that they receive big enough to make price less relevant?
0: Yeah, and I was just talking about and if they assume price was the same and the offering looked the same, right. Okay. How, do you, how do you make that decision?
1: That There's only one way, and that's, that's exactly what you're talking about, the service and the experience they get. Absolutely.
0: absolutely. Okay, great. Well, we're going to take a short break, come back, talk about building a culture of customer service at a company with my guest, Shep Hyken. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Cell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect & Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect & Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit ConnectAndSell.com to learn more about how Connect & Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Okay, welcome back. We're talking to Shep Hyken today about customer service, customer experience. So, really like something I read recently you had written about building a culture of customer service. You're talking about being a, a philosophy, not a mandate, not a policy. So, it's it's not just about hiring or leadership. I mean, it's really about commitment and consistency, right?
1: Right. Commitment, consistency, uh, you're always thinking about it Great service is not a part-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. Again, service is in a department. It's a philosophy that runs through the entire company, from the CEO to the most recently hired, lowest-level position. It is everybody's job to take care of the customer. And if it's an internal customer you're taking care of, uh, you're probably doing something or supporting someone that is better able to take care of their outside customer if you don't actually have direct Contact with that outside customer, so keep that in mind as well. I think one of the
0: great customer service experiences, and I don't know if you've spent much time in New York City, but is to go to a restaurant owned by Danny Meyer. Oh who's, yeah, who's one of the great restaurateurs in New York. Fellow St. Louis guy. Fellow St. Louis guy. As a matter of fact, that's right. And yep. so I always tell the story. So I, my wife and I, and our families, our grown kids, we'd been at dinner uh, New Year's Eve in San Diego, and uh, we'd gone to this restaurant and. And my stepdaughter had, you know, take-home portions she wanted to take home. And it was a good way to leave. She asks, you know, the server, where's you know, where's my doggy bag? And they said, oh, we, we threw it away. And so I said, okay, well, that was like a big portion. of for me, though, she hadn't eaten much. You know, what are we going to work out here? I mean, and they were completely unwilling to be helpful about this at all. I think they offered us a free glass of wine. was pretty much it. So a couple months later, my wife and I are at Gramercy Tavern, which is one of Danny Meyer's restaurants in New York City. I've been there, and same thing. My wife had a—I forgot she had had. Actually, it was was chicken she had had, and and she had only eaten maybe half of it, and uh, had asked them to bag it up. And so, as we get ready to go, they say you pick up your takeout bag at the your doggy bag at the front. We go and ask where it is, and they said, "Oh, oh my gosh, I think we might have thrown away. Stay here." If you don't mind for a few minutes. And they cooked up the entire entree again and gave it to us and the whole meal free of charge. No questions asked. And it's like the difference there was just the way they're trained. And they didn't have to involve a manager. The waiter did it on his own. It's just like night and day difference, right? And it seems like that is coming from the top.
1: So and it is. And Danny Meyer is a brilliant dude. By the way, we went to school together. Nursery school together. Very cool. Nursery school. And then (laughs) we were together. uh, he switched high schools somewhere around ninth or 10th grade, maybe eighth grade. We went to a, a school that started in, in fifth grade uh, after that. And uh, he was a year ahead of me. I don't know how that happened. Somehow he <laughs> sprinted a year ahead <laughs> of me. Uh, he switched Or schools. you
0: spent an extra year, you didn't realize.
1: Well, I know I didn't do that, but but uh, I, I, maybe we were just in nursery school and he was on the second half of his two-year, I don't know. But uh, we, we joked about that. We actually reconnected Uh, playing tennis down in Florida during spring break. But Danny's a brilliant guy, and and he believes that service is the differentiator. And all of his restaurants really focus on trying to create that experience. And something else you may or may not know, and just in the last year he made the statement that we are going to go tipless.
0: Yes. No more tipping. Yep.
1: And he believes service is a team sport. He said typically the people that get tipped are on the front line, but it's people behind the scenes that are helping to drive that experience. So instead, I mean, you know what, does that mean you're going to pay less to go to a restaurant because you don't have to tip? No, he's going to incorporate the tip into the meal. So you won't pay any more. Maybe you might pay around the same, maybe even a little bit more, but here's what happens. The people in the back of the house who don't ever get seen are now making higher wages. They have more invested in the job because they want to keep this job because it pays better than any other job they have in the same you know, industry. And uh, they're just, I mean, I think it's doing really well. I think yes, the jury's so still out. I haven't seen a lot of, of uh, reports come through, but I know that that was the goal. And we haven't heard anything of the contrary. So I uh, hope he's doing well with that. Well, I think it is. But
0: I think it's, it's, it's a trend that, that's occurring. And it's for the reason you said is, is if you give everybody a bigger stake in it, they're all more committed to making the experience that much better. Right. Yeah, that was that's okay. Very interesting. I, I didn't realize you had that connection when I when I told the story. So
1: I know everybody. You know, know everybody. Everything. Okay. Well now
0: <laughs> so just in just a few minutes, I just wanna do we have left on this segment. I just want to talk about your six steps to build customer service culture. Yeah, having the right people to begin with is is really important. Obviously that was your first step. Leadership has to create the culture which we had just talked about. How do you hire people with a customer service mindset?
1: Sure, and, and I think that there are six steps and I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't we why don't I take like and give you the less than two minute version, maybe Perfect. one minute version of that. And it is assumed that you have good people to begin with, that you've done a good job hiring. So we'll come back to the hiring question, but I don't want to run out of time with the six steps. Number one, leadership takes the position and defines what the service initiative will be, the vision. My suggestion is you you can write it all out, and it could be a document if you want, but at the end of the day, it needs to be summarized in one simple sentence. Uh, for example, the Ritz-Carlton, nine words long, we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. That's the overarching vision, and underneath it, uh, you have all your initiatives and all, all the standards that support it. So it's defined by leadership. Number two, it is communicated to everybody. And you can communicate it many different ways, through voice, through video, through written, through signage. Uh, But it becomes, it's communicated and it becomes part of what everybody understands the company's about. Number three is that you train it. You train everybody. And the front line might be trained differently than somebody in the warehouse. But everybody gets trained to what the overarching philosophy is. Number four, leadership demonstrates it. You can't say something and then do something else. It's incongruent behavior. So it is uh, leadership demonstrating and defining it. And by the way, I'll go a step out here and say that everybody can be a leader when it comes to great service. You want to be the person that other people say, I want to do that. I want to be like that.
0: Managers Uh, have to model the behavior.
1: Oh yeah, they model it. I mean, uh, you you can't act one way and be different. Walt Disney used to walk through the theme park and pick up paper off the ground and throw it away because he knew that everybody was watching him and that if he walked by the piece of paper, he gave permission for everyone to walk by the trash and throw it away. And he called that stooping to excellence. Great example of being a role model.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Number five is to keep it in alignment. And I think that's leadership and management's job. If they see someone out of alignment with the vision or the mission, bring them back in or her back in. If it's a department or a group or division, same thing. And finally, number six, you celebrate it when it works. Let everybody know it's working and it's successful and give them some metrics so they can know we, you know, because business is all numbers. We increased sales by X percent. We had a great year last year. We retained 92.6 percent of our customers versus the year before we had 87. You know, they love to know that their hard work is paying off and celebrate it.
0: And I think one of the things that you brought up in the article that you didn't mention or didn't drill down on this you're recounting here is you know tell empower your employees to do the right thing right you know, don't make them get management approval to do the right thing
1: and what? that's part of the training and the best way to do that is this philosophy that it's and it's not mine, but it's not all that well known either. it's called one to say yes and two to say no and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but no. it basically it's You know, If I want to say yes, this seems like a reasonable thing to do for my customer. It doesn't hurt the company. It doesn't really cost the uh, company any money. It could save the customer. Uh, All the good things could happen. I don't need to go to my manager to get approval. Or if I've gotten approval once, I don't need to go back for the same thing to get approval a second, third, or a 100th time. However, if I need to say no and I can't come up with a way to say yes to the customer, then I have to go to the manager (laughs) and say help me here. Mm-hmm, what can I mm-hmm. do to say yes? Or if I can't say no, please approve that I can say no.
0: Yeah. No, oh, perfect. I love that. Love that. One to say yes, two to say no. Great, a great rule to take into effect. Um, and it's part
1: of empowerment.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's that seems to be the thing that holds people back, at least in my experience with customer service, is they're trying to anticipate what management thinks is the right thing to do. And so, I mean, clearly they don't have an understanding of either management hasn't clearly articulated or sometimes as we said before, maybe they just think this is all a waste of time, but you know they don't. They don't know how to act in that context.
1: So here's a big payoff exercise to do: uh, tell everybody they're empowered to do something, and then give them an index card and tell them over the next week or two to write down an example of when they did something without having to ask a manager, and then compile all of those responses. And every employee needs to do this because it could be an internal customer as well. And then you start looking for truly empowered employees that recognize they just did something without asking permission. You start to assemble a best practice book with these examples. And you start to train using real life, real company, your company, examples. And what happens over a period of time, people start to understand there is a line in the sand that they don't want to cross. But they're now learning how far they can get toward that line, how close they can get to it before they know that they're crossing it. If somebody crosses it, well, that's a story, and there's a learning opportunity there. But if they're not getting close enough to the line, they need to also teach that or treat that as a learning opportunity.
0: Got it. Well good. Well, I really appreciate this input. We're going to move to the last segment of our show and in a minute, we'll give you a chance to tell people how to get hold of you. So here's the first question I have for you is standard questions I ask all my guests. It's a hypothetical scenario. And in this scenario, you, Shep, have just been hired as the new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out and not making the progress they want. They want to get unstuck desperately. So, they're looking to you. What two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact?
1: Well, I'd probably first want to, uh, gosh, first of all, I wouldn't be the sales manager. <laughs>
0: well, that's a hypothetical. <laughs> that's so, hypothetical. that's,
1: you know. Hypothetical. I know that. Project I, yourself. The first thing I'd want to do is I'd want to get a, 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 I'd want to interview every sales rep, or if, depending on the size of the company, a, a, a sample of the sales reps. Uh, why are we stalling out? What's going on? What you're feeling? What do you feel the culture is here? What's, your, you know, what's the sentiment here at the company? I want to know what's happening there. Then I want to do at least an equal number, if not more, customers. So that's the second piece of it. And by the way, I don't care which comes first. Uh, but I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to go down the employee right, route first because I believe that before we can even begin to support the outside customer, we need to be supporting internally mm-hmm. as strong, if not stronger. And uh, so I'd want to get, I'd want to see what the you know company sentiment is from both the employee and the customer standpoint.
0: Love it. Okay, good answer. So now some questions. You can give me one-word answers if you want, or you can elaborate if you wish. And the first one is when you ship are outselling your services, what's your most powerful sales asset?
1: Yes. No, he said one word. Uh, My (laughs) most powerful sales asset. Um, Gosh, that's a great question. And I'm not sure I'm going to give you the right answer because there's so many different answers. But I think reputation has a whole lot to do with it. The confidence we create through uh, the reputation we have but I think the word confidence may be the one word to describe everything because how fast do we call somebody back? They mm-hmm. may have heard of a reputation. Well, now we need to prove it. How fast do we call somebody back? How quickly do we get them what we've promised we would get them? Uh, you know, Are we polite and easy to deal with? So those are all, I think confidence may be the overarching word. We create confidence. Okay, love it.
0: Who's your sales role model? You. Ah, oh, perfect. Thank you.
1: I know. Who is my salesroom. Well, I can tell you back in 1983 when I got into this business, my mom said, you don't have a job. You know, there's these two speakers that are coming to St. Louis, Missouri at the Sheraton Hotel downtown, which is now where the former St. Louis Rams used to play. They, mm-hmm. they leveled the hotel and made it a, a, dome, a dome stadium. An empty now, dome, it, though. Now it's empty. But that's another story. And she said, you know, there's a couple of speakers. And I saw two of the most amazing speakers that completely changed my life. And that was Zig Ziglar mm. and Tom Hopkins.
0: Tom Hopkins. it um, has been a guest and, on the show.
1: Yeah. And so Tom uh, gave me sales techniques and Zig gave me uh, that goal setting attitude. And so I went back and I did exactly what these guys. I, I bought Tom's book and Zig's CD. Or it wasn't a CD. It was a cassette tape mm-hmm, Called See You at the Top. Top. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Tom's book, I still have it. It's a green book called How to Master the, the Art of Selling.
0: selling. That was my, my first sales book I ever read.
1: Exactly. And, and I just, I set my goals and I started smiling and dialing. So I gave you two answers Tom and Zig.
0: Excellent. Two for the price of one. Okay. So other than your own books, what is one book every sales rep should should read?
1: Wow. Okay. So, again, I'm a customer service and experience guy. I'm going to tell you about a book called The Experience Economy by yep. uh, Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore.
0: Yep. Great book.
1: Yep. And it's all about how you create the experience. And I believe that everything being equal, people will go and gravitate toward the experience. We've already talked about that. I but agree 100%. But the role model or case study throughout the entire book isn't about everything being equal. It's about this company charging substantially more than everyone else and still getting the business. And that's Starbucks. It's like Mm -hmm. a huge case study on uh, one of the great success stories of how somebody can charge two to three times more than someone down the street for their coffee and yet fill the place every day. And uh, I love that book, The Experience Economy.
0: Yeah, it's a great book. Great book. All right. Tough question here for you is what music's on your playlist right now?
1: <laughs> That's easy. Uh, boy, you know, I love Eric Clapton, Santana, uh, Allman Brothers. I oh, love uh, Allman by Brothers. The, by the way, I, I play with uh, Eric Clapton. I play guitar.
0: You play along with him?
1: I do. I do play so along the solo, with him. So the solo on, on Layla? YouTube, on YouTube. On YouTube. I yeah. listen to him every night and play along with him on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But seriously, those are some of my favorites. And John Mayer, I'm a blues rock kind of a guy. So. Um, uh, been playing guitar for a lot of years, and those are some of my favorite bands.
0: Excellent. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. My guest has been Shep Hyken. Shep, let people know how they can find out more about you.
1: Sure. Well, obviously, Google my name. If you Google Shep, S-H-E-P, you're going you're gonna to get first the Wikipedia thing on the dog, Shep. And then I should be right behind that. But seriously, if you go to www.hyken.com www.hyken, or shephyken.com, uh, you'll find me. Or just Google my name, Shep Hyken.
0: Excellent. Well, good.
1: Thank you very much for being here. Hey, a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine on your commute, in the gym, or at your morning sales huddle. Then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Shep Hyken, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So, thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.